everyone, welcome to this bonus episode of Exploit It for Mother's Day. I'm Alexis Jasky. I'm questioning my place in the world. I'm sorry to hear that. It's a tough <laughs> movie. I'm Kevin Daly. Yeah, this week we're talking about Mommy Dearest, 1981, directed by Frank Perry. missing in my life come on you've got everything you want no i don't i want a baby out of the question don't you dare judge me we have a moral and legal responsibility and what you're really doing is denying one of your children the opportunity to live a wonderful and advantaged life you're a lucky little girl and very expensive trust me a lot of favors christina darling i'm gonna make a perfect life for you are you having a happy birthday, Christina, darling? This is the best party I ever had. I love you, Mommy dearest. I love you, Tina, darling. You lost again. It's not fair. You're bigger than I am. Ah, but nobody ever said that life was fair, Tina. I will always beat you. Then I'm not going to play with you anymore. Ever. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to march yourself upstairs to your room and we'll stay there. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Sorry, Mommy. Dearest. You are not getting up from this table until you have finished that meat. Have I ever lied to you in your whole career? Or given you one piece of bad advice? Your treatment of me has been divine. Good. I want you to leave Metro. My wonderful fans. Leave Metro. Your pictures, one after another, are losing money. Who made me be stuck? Theater owners voted you box office poison. Making fun of me? Mayor should know the price I pay. Truth is, you're getting old. You're nothing but a rotten, crooked lawyer. The biggest female star he's got. Look at this floor. Do you think it's clean? You're gonna clean this floor. You and me together. Screw up. Yes, Mommy Dearest. When I asked you to call me that, I wanted you to mean it. Joan Crawford. The most dramatic role of her life was her life. 
Frank Kiblons presents Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest. Was an interesting director that we, we might do, be doing a couple of his other films on the show. I know one of his early films, The Swimmer, is actually on the schedule. Okay, yeah, there you go. Well, we will be doing at least one, most and likely. Last Summer is on my maybe list. Well, you might have more of more of his work down the line. Now, Mommy Dearest is based off of the like autobiographical book by Christina Crawford, adopted daughter of Joan Crawford. And at the end, I'll have a lot more to say about Christina, the, the, the actual woman, and her book. Yeah, I have not read the book, though I am curious after all the, the things I've read about it, and it's it's interesting. <laughs> well, there's a lot there. There's a reason we're, we're counting this as an exploitation film, and a lot of it has to do with Christina Crawford. <laughs> yeah, this is um, complicated. But the film, it feels like a made-for-TV melodrama as it opens, and indeed like throughout the movie, but even open. Yeah, it does have that vibe now that you bring that up. Because um, we get Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford, and we don't quite see her for a while. We just see, like, her hands, you know, as she's cleaning herself like an obsessive crazy person. Yeah, the uh, OCD uh, <laughs> cleaning ritual that she goes through in the morning. I'm like, I know age-defying skincare takes a lot of fucking work, but goddamn woman. I mean, but I mean, <laughs> it's 1939 in the opening scene. 1939 Hollywood. Yeah. In, in which she's already considered on the downslope of her career. Yeah, and it feels like a fucking like Douglas Sirk film with this Henry Mancini music. <laughs> she she goes into her super shower. <laughs> yeah. I mean for nineteen thirty nine that shower is pretty sick. It's got like three different heads in different directions. Man, I, I still I, you know, it's twenty twenty three. I still want one of those. Yeah. Hell, that this looks like an awesome shower. Probably uses so cozy. Way too much water, though. Uh, especially from that era, and in and this is, California. And this is a, yeah. This is in this is in L.A. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had a little bit more water back in 1939, but not that much more. Joan Crawford's the reason for droughts to this day. That fucking shower. <laughs> on a on a realistic note, actually, most of the water wasted in California is wasted by Central California's farms, uh, who just basically overwater and let it run off. They water in the, the, the middle of the day in the heat of summer. So it'll yeah, they just, they just don't care. <laughs> and they're the ones always complaining, like, don't restrict our water. Like, well, try fucking not wasting it. And in you, know, you try to pawn it off on the rest of us. Yeah, you know, we could do a little bit, but the fact of the matter is it's like 70% 70, 70 of the water in California is used by farms in the Central Valley. Yeah. Uh, same as Colorado, but Colorado was a hell of a lot more stricter on those water guidelines. Yeah, I wish. Well, we produce so much of the country's food that I think they just let them get away with whatever they want. But Joan Crawford, she's going to work. She's getting up super early to go to work on Ice Follies of 1939. Which I've not seen. <laughs> I've not seen it either, but it's a real movie starring Joan Crawford. Oh, no, I... I yeah, I think all the movies mentioned this movie are real movies. It's starring Joan Crawford and James Stewart, actually. Jimmy Stewart, eh? Yeah. Wow. A movie with two two of the biggest stars of the era, and I hadn't even heard of it until watching this movie. It doesn't even sound like a real movie, though. No, it sort of sounds like... Yeah, I don't even know. It sounds like a sounds stage like a, tour? Yeah, it sounds... Yeah. Ice capades? Yeah, it's like a fucking ice capade thing. 
It's Joan Crawford on ice. <laughs> ice Follies of 1939. It's fucking bizarre. Movies were a different beast back then. Although the second movie to win the Best Picture Oscar. Yeah. Because um, the first was Wings. The second one was The Broadway Melody of 1929. Yeah. It was a different era. Yeah, but the, the the crew is like, we're ready for you, Miss Crawford. And that's when we finally see her face as she spins to the camera. And I swear she was going to say, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's that yeah. kind of... It is that kind of... That very, kind of uh, ve- very Sunset Boulevard in its presentation. Yeah. Well, you know, it's that era, right? Yeah. Hollywood glamour. Golden age of Hollywood, right? And then she's, she's back in her mansion... Being an absolute shit to her household staff. Right, and cleaning herself after cleaning up after the housekeeper cleaned up. Well, the housekeeper's like, I finished cleaning the floor. And Joan's like, well, let's go inspect. And she pushes this plant aside and says, Helga, when you polish the floor, you have to move the tree. Fuck, I'll just do it myself. And um, I used the C word in my notes there. It's, um, this is a tough scene for me, too, because... Uh, I mean, we'll get to more of the stuff that was hard for me in this movie, but this is definitely a, a trigger point for me. When I was growing up, uh, I ended up doing very few things around the house by the time I was a teenager because when I was younger, I would try to do things and I would fuck them up. My mom would basically, you know, get pissed at me for even trying. So I uh, I stopped doing that. So yeah, this is a little bit of a trigger point for me. Yeah, S- strike one, strike one movie. And she tries to justify it. She goes, Helga, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the dirt. And then so she's seeing this guy who's actually her lawyer, apparently. Greg Savitt. (laughs) Yes. And she's like, take your shoes off. We just cleaned these floors. Well, what about my socks? And the way it, like, focuses on her and the music peaks as she goes, I can handle the socks. That line is delivered with so much unnecessary gravitas. Yeah, I, it, it's basically leave the socks on while we, we fuck. It's fine. Yeah, even though they go into their fucking super shower together. I assume <laughs> I assume he left the socks on in the shower. Yeah. She's like, I will fucking handle the socks, Greg. <laughs> and then she's doing a, a Christmas photo op at, a, at like an orphanage with nuns and kids. Yeah. Apparently she does this regularly because they they're like oh. that she's done this before. Yeah, she says this is her favorite thing to do of the year that she looks the most forward to, and I'm like, oh fucking bullshit! Because she's she's smiling at the camera, she's picking up kids and turning to the press, and then so she's walking on the beach with Greg, and she's like, you know what, Mud's missing in my life. I need a baby, and Greg's like, ah, oh, no, you don't. You're you're too vain. You'd be a terrible I mean, mother, <laughs> and he's I mean, fucking he, right. He knows. And she's like, well, I'm infertile, so I'm going to adopt. And he's like, no, you're not. No agency's going to give you a baby. You're a twice-divorced actress with, you know, and no father. No, 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 no adoption agency's going to help you out. That's true. 1940, that would be the case. Yeah, and then she has this line where she's defending it. She's like, I never had a father. Ma changed husbands faster than she changed bedsheets. Mom, with her sloppiness and her dirt... Yeah, so there's the where some of that neat freak thing comes in. Her own mommy issues. Yeah. And then we get an agency that's like, hey, they've denied your application. They've said you're an unsuitable parent for all the reasons that Greg pointed out. And, she- and nowadays, sing- nowadays, single single women can adopt. It's not considered uh, a problem. Uh, though, though, even by that context, uh, she 
she probably would be rather unfit. Yeah. And then so Greg apparently pulls some strings to get her a baby. So it's at this point I'd like to point out um, I'm adopted for new listeners or people who didn't listen to the last time we talked about adoption. What was that? Uh, was that Insidious? Was that the last time we talked about adoption? Uh, not, uh, m- malignant. Malignant. That's yeah, right. We didn't watch Insidious. I'm saying Malignant, yes. Same director. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. That's why my brain gets them confused. Uh, yes, so I'm adopted. Uh, I'm also a California native. California does not have... Uh, California has a system where you do have to go through the state to adopt, at least in 1983 when I was born, it was. Um, my adoptive mother, uh, then my dad, my adoptive father, they could not, uh, they had problems conceiving. They'd been trying for 10 years and didn't want to go through the, the bureaucratic nightmare that is dealing with the state of California. So they found uh, private adoption with a, a young woman from Michigan. Uh, well, she's originally from Pittsburgh, but she was living in Michigan at the time. She was 14 years old, and uh, she came out and lived with my parents for three months, and I was born, and that's that. Um, so this is something that was done. <laughs> it still is done. Yeah. 45% of adoptions in the United States are private adoptions. So this is not uncommon, at least today. Yeah, and so they, they deliver the baby to Joan, and um, it's this drawn-out sequence where she's like, a daughter... My own daughter. And then she's framed at, like, the top of the stairs holding this baby. It's so show-offy and, like, cliche. And she's so melodramatic with the, I have my own baby. You know, the character, at least the character version of Joan Crawford in this movie is always acting like the camera's on her. Yeah. Now, whether she was like that in real life, I have no idea. But um, in the movie, she's definitely always acting like the camera's watching her. And, um... My note here says, she names her Christina, obviously. I don't know why that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's obvious if you know the who wrote the book. Yeah, I guess like, that's why I wrote obviously, because it's Christina's book. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, and we, we jump ahead a couple years, because it's, it's Christina's birthday party. And it's, it's a fucking circus. There's clowns and... <laughs> As rich parents are want to do for their children. Yeah. It looks like a Billy Madison birthday party. <laughs> it does look like a Billy Madison birthday party. <laughs> She's like, oh, are you having a happy birthday, Christina? Yes, I love you, mommy dearest. Because we meet child Christina. who's played by Mara Hobel. She huh. got a Golden Raspberry Award for, like, worst actress. And this in is this back- movie? Yeah, in this movie, which I, I disagree with, because this girl's actually good in this movie. For, for a First of all, why are we giving awards for bad actors and actresses to kids? Well, Look, I hate me some Phantom Menace, but even then, I'm still not going to razz this kid. He's, you know, and same with her. She was good, too. She's fine. Nothing wrong with how she performed this movie. The Golden Raspberry Awards have since changed their, their policies because they got a lot of shit for awarding these to, to children. Because it was fucking Jake Lloyd from Phantom Menace and... um. I mean, Jake Lloyd was that was not a great performance, but he's a fucking kid. It ruined his life though. The uh just the the grief that people would give him about that performance. He's a kid. I mean obviously I've I've memed on that stupid performance. I hate I hate his I hate his performance and jingle all the way too, but he's still just a kid. And um yeah, and they gave their awards to a friggin' uh, Will Smith's kid in that one movie. Oh. What mo- what what movie were there? 
It wasn't the Karate Kid remake, right? No, it was the one that he did with Will Smith. Oh. After Earth, I think. But yeah, the Golden yeah. Raspberries have getting a lot of shit lately. It's such a it's such a pointless fucking award too. It's like who cares? Yeah. Um, we, we know when something's shit, it's fine. Well yeah, and that that idea of making fun of bad movies is really no longer original. Right, yeah, it's been done to it's been done to death. I mean yeah. shit we do. <laughs> we did for a while when it was the fad. When you had all them angry critics that are, Oh, I'm so tortured by bad movies. You know that and, and, and you know, there's there's a time and place for that, and it can be funny, and if, especially if you you write your scripts well and stuff. Yeah, but who cares? Bad movies are bad. News at eleven, like yeah, especially um, with kids. Like I just I don't know. It's okay to like. I, I, there's a there's a line between like participation awards for everything, and then just like completely laying into a child. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to rub their nose in it. <laughs> We also learned that Joan's adopted a son now, too, named Christopher. Yeah, Joan not particularly creative in her naming. Yeah, but this is all publicity for Joan, really. Because she's posing for all the press with, with her daughter. And then she's, the you know, Christina's like, oh no, I got a grass stain. And she's irritated. The photographers are like, that might, that might show, you know, let's sit her under the table, under the presence. And Joan is irritated, but she doesn't quite come out yet. Yeah, well, it's interesting because the scene, like, you have this history of this woman being an eat freak. You've already established that early on in the movie. And when she says, Oh, I have a grass stain. I'll have, you know, Nanny go take care of it. And she goes, No, no, don't, fine, it won't show. And the photographer's like, It might. She's like, All right, all right, go ahead and do it. It's like, That's kind of restrained. Yeah. That, that restraint goes away. And after the party, you know, when it's just them at home at night, she's like, Choose the one present you will keep. The rest will go to the needy children. Yeah, that's a bit rough. There is a line here where uh, Joan is pointing out, you were adopted, Christina. And what is it about adopted children? Christina says, adopted children are the luckiest because they were chosen. Are they, though? Christina sure as hell ain't. And we get we get follow through on that line later in the film. Yeah. Um, again, tough for me. <laughs> yeah. That's why I gave not, you a... Not- not because, worry. not because I don't think my 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 adoptive parents lo- love me, but it's it's been a struggle throughout my life trying to cope with with being adopted. And I'm not going to say I can't speak for every person who's adopted, obviously, but I will say that as as the eldest, who then whose adoptive parents then had went on to have two biological children, I'll just say that my place in the family never felt particularly great. I kind of felt like uh, like leftovers. For most of my life. Still do. Yeah. But all adults struggle with identity issues still, though. True. I think adopted kids have it maybe a little bit worse, though, because we're kind of putting the... Unless you're an only child. If you're adopted as an only child, yeah, maybe. But if you're if you're the first and they're followed up by biological children, there's definitely a, well, what the fuck do I exist for yeah. sort of vibe to it. But I've definitely struggled with my entire life. So we have Christina swimming in the pool, having a good time, until Joan's like, here, let's race, and kicks her ass, you know, because she's racing her best to beat this little child. And so Christina's like, okay, I'm done playing, I don't want to play anymore. It's like, no, I will always beat you, Christina, life is never fair. And like, spanks her and throws her in a fucking closet. Yeah, so uh, you can definitely see Joan's upbringing here. And how she's felt like she's had to earn everything, and everything's the hard way, and 
you know, we're going to teach Christina from a young age how shitty life is. Yeah. And then, um, Greg calls to get, tell Joan, Hey, I pulled some strings and got you a role in this picture that you wanted. So Joan's like, yay, I'm happy. And she's dancing around the house celebrating till she sees Christina in her room, like holding a hairbrush and giving a mock Oscar speech about like, I want to thank my fans. And Joan's like, are you making fun of me? You spoiled brat. What do you think you're doing? What do you mean, playing? Pulling through my things? Making fun of me? I wasn't making fun of you. I was just trying to... I was acting. Play acting. Like you're always doing. you not see that there's anything else but cute and heartwarming yeah kids that don't have hollywood parents do that yeah it's and and it aren't I, I don't know i would be flattered if my daughter was i don't know what the fuck she'd be with me doing but if she wants to be like her daddy like that would make me smile like oh hey she thinks i'm cool if she's rolling around a 20-sided dice and moving miniatures yeah exactly <laughs> like look my daughter wants to be just like me. Yeah. But no, Joan decides to just cut off all of Christina's hair. Because she's vain and egotistical and, a shit, and, and insecure. Yeah. She's like... Again, I would like to point out, we're talking about the character of Joan Crawford in this movie. I think that's going to be important to some discussions later we have. Yeah, because Christina's like, I can't go out like this. And Joan's like, I'd rather you be bald than go to school looking like a tramp. Which comes out of nowhere. She's just being mean now. Yeah. And then she goes out with Greg, and um, she's drinking, and meets these studio heads. And then she's drunk yeah. and just berating Greg later. Yeah, uh, Meyer of Metro Golden <laughs> Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> the second M of MGM. <laughs> yes, kind of and they, they only refer to MGM by the first M. They're always like, here yeah. at Metro, we want you to make dozens of movies for Metro. I'm guessing that's what they called it. Even yeah. though now we call it MGM. 
Well, it was Metro, and then Goldwyn and Meyer took over, but Metro was already a household name. So they probably just kept it until yeah. that household name went faded into obscurity. Now it's just MGM that stands for nothing. <laughs> Does MGM make movies anymore? I think they do still produce movies. They right? do. Who, do, who are they? Uh, who are they acquired by? Because there's like one company. It's, it's it's all Disney now, right? I remember that they were up on the uh the, 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 the sale for the MGM Grand is a is a nice hotel. They had a big sale and they sold for like two billion. I remember reading about it, but I can't remember who was buying it. MGM Studio. Well, uh, they just made Creed three, apparently, according to their their website. Oh, well, that's a pretty big. Uh, that's a pretty big movie. So yeah, they're still. They are an Amazon company. Ah, of all right, course, then. it's fucking Amazon that owns them. So if uh, what you're saying is, if I want to watch MGM films, Amazon Prime is the place to be. <laughs> Well, we're at the point now where it's only like three corporations own everything in the world. <laughs> it's like Disney, Paramount, and fucking Amazon. That's like it. <laughs> Those yeah. are the companies that own anything in, in entertainment. But anyway, Greg has had enough of Joan's shit, and he, he leaves her. And it's actually a really quiet scene. I like the scene, and the actor playing Greg does a really good job here. He's so... He's got his shit together. This is a chill dude who's like hey joan i'm done bye and he'd been a really good dad to christina if you'd see how he interacts with her throughout the first portion of this movie yeah even though he was never actually her dad he was just one of uh christina's quote-unquote uncles which was the code word for people her mom is fucking yes because she refers to i've had many uncles (laughs) later on But, but greg was a good one and then so we get a Joan is trying to get some rest while the kids are outside playing, and she she yells at like Carolyn, keep those fucking brats quiet. And um, she just lectures Christina all about bad children, bad spoiled children. So then Christina goes to her room, and she lectures her dolls the same way because kids do that as a way to process information. Which Joan doesn't take that way. She thinks. Christina's making fun of her. Because Joan is a megalomaniac. Yeah, and throws all of her dolls away. To where Christina's like, someone stole my babies. And Joan goes, they were thoughtless, spoiled children. Now they won't wake you up when you need your rest. And I just wrote, what a fucking cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's not, uh... This character's not a a nice person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can talk more about it later. I, I, I have thoughts, <laughs> but let's let's keep going. So she has a meeting with Mayor at MGM, who's like, we're going to go ahead and void your contract. Because at the time, actors were contracted to a studio. Yeah, it was like being on a football team. Yeah, that's a practice that ended in like the 60s, though. Though they do still, you will still sign multi-picture deals for certain things, like um, Robert Downey Jr. signed on to play Iron Man a certain number of times with Disney. Yeah, some directors. But he's not completely beholden to just Disney. He can go off and do other movies in the meantime, he just has to do those movies. Yeah, but... um, So it's more free now than it was. And so they say that your pictures are losing money, that you were voted box office poison. This is something that happened to Joan Crawford, along with... A whole bunch of other big name actors at the era, yeah, because their salaries had gotten so high comparative to the amount of money that the films were drawing in theaters. Theater owners really couldn't make back the the, 
the money that they were required to pay to get rights to movies. And considering we pay actors so goddamn much these days. Movie industry, though, makes a lot more money than it did back then, I think. We got rid well, of the remember, John Crawfords. Is, well, you have to remember, this is... What, I think this is that, what, what year are we now? Still in the middle of the war, right? 43, 44, somewhere We're in the there. 40s somewhere, yeah. The, the economy is not great still. You're talking about a d- Depression-era economy. The high salaries at the time weren't tenable. Now, over the course of the last 80 years, you know, movies are big, big business. How many billions of dollars does... How many, how many, I don't even, I, I haven't paid attention. I haven't gotten to see it yet. I was going to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 this weekend, but. So uh, was I, but I didn't. I will be seeing it on Saturday. I was going to see it by myself because I wanted to see it opening weekend, but the timing just didn't work out. So I'm going to see it with the rest of my friends. I was going to see it twice, but anyway. Yeah. I don't know how many hundreds of millions or billions of dollars that movie is going to make, but it's going to make an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah, apparently they, uh, they cut, MGM cut. Crawford's contract in June of 1943, and they bought her out for $100,000. Dead dead of World War II, and we haven't even, I have to remember, 43, we're still, this isn't like the downslope, like in 44 and 45, where we're on the victory push. 43 is still, like, dicey times. And apparently during this time with the real Joan Crawford, the year before, they, her and her second husband, or a third husband, whatever. They adopted a son they named Christopher. But then the birth mother reclaimed the child. So they adopted another boy that was named Philip. And then once the marriage ended in 46, Crawford changed Philip's name back to Christopher. Yes, very creative. Yes. Uh, so 43, I mean, we were still making steel fucking pennies because we were having to send copper over to for the war effort. This is not an economy that's, you know, tenable for super high value contracts. Yeah. Joan Crawford, what she does after she gets cut by MGM is she loses her fucking mind. Yeah, so this is the uh, you, you finish you can we can we can go through the scene first then I'll offer some thoughts here. She's out in the in the garden just fucking just shredding up all the flowers and trees and stuff and she makes Carol Ann go and wake up the children and drag them out and in the middle of the night and she's just in this garden just with this knife just hacking shit. And she's like, I want all the branches cleared out of here. And her face is all cut up and she just starts cutting down a tree. So, according, because I was re- watching it on Amazon Prime, and they have that x-ray thing, I have all the trivia. Oh, show. yeah. And apparently, Christina said that she, you know, they in the movie, they had her do it in response to her losing her contract. But apparently, this sort of incident happened periodically throughout Christina's life. And... This sort of behavior, combined with some of the other stuff we'll see later, spending impulses and stuff, pretty textbook bipolar one. Oh, reactions. definitely. This is a manic episode. Yeah. And I have bipolar two, and so I have more of the depression side of things. But even I look at this and go, yeah, that's a manic episode. I <laughs> I recognize a manic episode when yeah. I see one. So the character, at least in the movie, or at least in Christina's mind, probably had some sort of bipolar disorder. And, Which uh, would explain a lot of the other erratic behavior, some of the obsessive-compulsive stuff, because as my psychiatrist said, obsessive-compulsive stuff does oftentimes come along with bipolar disorder. It's kind of a, a lovely couple. At least in this movie, the interpretation definitely portrays Joan Crawford as having undiagnosed bipolar disorder. How the fuck would they have treated that in 1939, 1940? They didn't, it was taboo, and I don't think they had any medications that could help with it well, anyway in that era. A certain class of people, they treated them by throwing them into an asylum. 
Yeah, they wouldn't have done that to somebody of her stature, though. Um, and her stature, well, we got her little maid, Carol Ann, that's just defending her to the children. That's like, right. they're making your mother take a screen test, and you know how shameful that is for her. There, yeah, again, I was reading a little bit about the history of this. For This is for Mildred Pierce, if I recall. Yes, right? she, she was going for the role of Mildred Pierce. The director did not want her. I can't remember who the director wanted, but the they want the director wanted Betty Davis, right? Yeah, <laughs> which uh, they have a famous rivalry. But yeah. um, but the producer's like, no, fuck you, are you going to have her do this? And she's like, fine, but I'm going to make her read for it. And yeah. it turns out it was a successful read because she got the role and won the Academy Award for it. Yeah, she did. Which we go into is this movie. It but- it does have awards night for that. Yeah, Michael Curtis, notable director though, did a lot of war films. Before Mildred Pierce. Oh, he did movies with Ronald Reagan, you know? Oh, Jesus. Let's not talk about Ronald Reagan tonight. He, he was nominated for Best Director for his film Angels with Dirty Faces. Okay. Oh, that's the one with James Cagney. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one, but cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we're not going to talk about Ronald Reagan tonight because, um, yeah. No, we're not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she- I have... I would go on to a very long rant, and I don't want to do it. So uh. Before she gets the role, she's eating uh, dinner with the kids, and she served a rare steak to Christina. And Christina doesn't really like this rare steak. Because, let's be honest, I, I, am, I am a 39-year-old man, soon-to-be 40-year-old man, and I do not like rare steak. I like a medium-rare steak. Yeah, I rare, medium-rare. Rare is a bit too far for me, a little too much red for me. I, I don't know, how old is this girl at this point? Eight? Seven? Not a fucking chance is that kid going to eat rare meat. Yeah, I wonder how old she really was, because this would have been in 44, 45. Yeah, she um, been, yeah, so like five or six, somewhere around there. But yeah, but the, the, the good thing about this character, though, is she uh, she covers quite a lot of Christina's life at this age. So she goes all the way up to like, I'd swear, like 13 as just this same child actor. Yeah, the, totally, yeah. At least preteen sort of thing when the she'd have been five the, or six. Yeah, she was born in nineteen thirty nine. Yeah, so five or six years old. What do you know? A five year old is going to eat a fucking rare steak? No, I, I kept ordering steak well done and putting ketchup on it until well into my like twelve years old. My daughter turns five in two months. There is not a goddamn chance that she's eating a rare steak. She doesn't yeah. even eat steak in general. How the fuck are you getting her to eat rare steak? Jesus Christ. And so Joan Crawford decides to starve this poor girl until she eats the steak. And she just keeps leaving it out for her. Like, put it in the fridge and then take it out and try to feed it to her again. To where this steak is now just fucking rancid. It's been sitting at right. room temperature. I'm surprised there's not fucking maggots crawling on it at this point. Serving it for her for every meal, putting this the same fucking steak in front of her. To uh, Christina's credit, she still does not budge. She does yeah. not budge. And eventually Joan gives in and she's like, empty that plate into the trash can. Which has to be real tough for her because she lost that one. Yeah, but then she does win the Oscar for Mildred Pierce, which they listen to it on the radio. Yeah. Which, it's 1945. We, we didn't really have television. I think, yeah, the TV had been invented relatively recently, but was certainly not a hassle object, even in the wealthies. Uh, the TV was invented and was actually displayed at the, the World's Fair shortly before World War II began. But when World War II was happening, people's focus was on other things. So they didn't, good. Yeah, they didn't quite 
jump on this television technology until after the war ended. Right, so even the wealthy did, didn't have this in the, in the time. Yeah, and then we have Joan Crawford with this face mask on, and she's just poking around in the kids' room going through their clothes, which the first time I ever watched this movie, I must have been about 11 or 12, and my dad and I were just channel surfing, and we stop at AMC. He's like, oh, it's Mommy Dearest, and this is where I originally watched the movie from, was okay. this fucking scene. I mean, this is the most iconic scene in the movie, right? Yes. She's going through these clothes, and she finds a, a a wire hanger. Oh, like, holy fucking shit, a wire hanger. I mean, my, clo- my entire closet is wire hangers. She just wakes the kids up. What are wire hangers doing in this closet? No wire hangers ever! You put a $300 dress on a wire hanger! Fucking beats Christina with the fucking hanger! No! Wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever. I work and work till I'm half dead, and I hear people saying she's getting old. And what do I get? A daughter who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her as she cares about me. What's Wirehanger's doing in this closet? Answer me! I buy you beautiful dresses and you treat them like they were some dish rag. You do $300 dress on a wire hanger. We'll see how many you've got in your hiddens up here. We'll see. We'll see. Get out of that business. All of this is coming out, 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 out. We're going to see how many wire hangers you've got in your closet. Why? Why, Christina, get out of that bed? Get out of that bed. You live in the most beautiful house in Brentwood, and you don't care if your clothes are unspatched from wire hangers. Now, Christina herself said that ne- never actually she was never actually beat with a hanger. <laughs> that was a little bit of uh, creative license. For yeah, me. I had to ask my dad. I was like, "Wait, plastic didn't really become a thing until decades later?" Because the only hangers I could think of were wire or plastic. Yeah, they have these little uh, hangers with like padded, soft shit. I don't yeah, know how to describe them. There was wood or the the, the crochet but- stuff. Yeah, my my sister had. Uh, I think my wife has a few of them too. These like fancy soft hangers for really nice dresses and shit. I, I, I have t-shirts, so fuck it, I don't. <laughs> but the deal with wire hangers is because that's what you would get from the dry cleaner. Right. I have a billion of them. Yeah, and if you were keeping the dry cleaner's wire hanger, that was low class. Oh fuck that! 
That also explains why she has stuff on wire hangers. Because right. Joan Crawford's so adamant about wire hangers, what are wire hangers doing in the house? Well, they came from the cleaner. And Christina just didn't transfer them to another hanger, or the maid didn't right. transfer them, or whatever. Yep, she just didn't bother to transfer them. Exactly. Yeah. But Joan Crawford is fucking OCD. And she trashes yeah. the room and then yells at the kids, like, clean up this mess! Except for Christopher, who's strapped to a fucking bed. <laughs> Apparently has sleepwalking issues, uh, I guess. Yeah, we don't uh, really explore it. No. Well, Christopher is sir not appearing in this film for most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he pops uh, up here and there. Yeah, so this scene is actually really hard to watch. Especially, like, the, the wire hanger scene is uh, is kind of like a little bit over. But when she starts just going ape shit in the bathroom, then just like... Yeah, because she leaves like, it to clean clean it up. It's just, it, it almost feels like I just watched someone get like violated. I know because she we get the scene where here because she's in the bathroom. She's like, "Did you clean the bathroom? It's dirty. It's filthy." And we can see that it's absolutely spotless. It's, it's just, just like Dina's like, "Yeah, the bathroom's clean." And uh, yeah, she, it's it's it feels bad. She's like, like everything is dirty, and she takes all this cleaner and is throwing it around, screaming. And, um, it's hard to watch. Yeah, and then she's like, you clean this, you figure out how. And Chris- Christopher unstraps himself, like the fucking kid from Absurd. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> and goes like, I'll help you clean. She's like, no! Go strap yourself back in! Yeah, she'll kill me. Props to Christopher offering his, his yeah. assistant. It's a good little brother. And Christina just collapses on this floor and just goes, Jesus Christ! Bed on the floor. We're gonna clean this floor. You and me together. Go. Go scrub hard. Scrub. Scrub, Christina. This floor's already clean. And the way that kid sells that line, props to her. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, what other reaction can you have? It's just, like... Just a just big, what the fuck? What did I just happen? Yeah, it's like... I know that Faye Dunaway gets, like, shit for overacting, but this scene, like... If you're acting out a manic episode, right? Yeah, that's how you do it. That's... 
I've been there. I've had, I've, I've been there. I've been in that mindset before. It's fucking rough. You don't have any control over yourself. So, and we immediately follow this grisly, grisly abuse scene with they're on the radio for Christmas. Yeah. And well, it, Christina's and this like, is actually, my mommy, dearest, is so good. <laughs> this is a good contrast scene, you know, between what the public perceives and what, what actually goes on behind the scenes. I think it's a good, shit, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a good contrast. Contrast, that's it, yeah. It's a good contrast, and I, I think it sells the point pretty well. Joan has a line here about, like, discipline mixed with love is the perfect recipe for children. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Discipline, huh? Little bit, little bit too much discipline. A little, little, little bit, not enough love there. Joan has some guy over named Ted, and Christina's like, "Will you have scotch and soda?" And she just goes to make this scotch and soda. Just knows yeah, how to make now, it. She's now a bartender for all of her uncles. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, easy on the scotch, Christina." But I fix all my uncles' drinks this way, Uncle Ted. And and he doesn't like that. He's a bit, like, cringe with her saying that. He's like, I'm <laughs> not your uncle. But all of Mommy's boyfriends. And she's such an abuse victim. It shows. Yeah. Joan and this Ted guy are going at it before Christina just hops on in with vodka for Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> and so Mommy's like, okay, no more coitus interrupt us. You're going to fucking boarding school for this transgression. Yep. And... They're like, you're going to be happy here, Christina. And I'm like, actually, she might be. Yeah. And, and she actually, I, we get a fast forward at this point, because now we've got late age teenage Christina. Yeah, she's a teenager now. A new actress, Diana Scarwood, plays her. Yeah, the, and who looks a lot like <laughs> The actress looks a lot like her. It's yeah. Like kind of creepy. But yeah, she seems very happy here. And I think she had a a pretty good time, comparatively. Yeah, because we get her, she's home from school for the weekend having dinner with her mother, and she seriously just does not want to be there with her mother. Like, she flirts with the waitstaff, and Joan chides her for that, and she's like, I hear you're doing at school. Your, your assertiveness is rebellious. And now, at this point, Joan is actually threatening her with, maybe you'd be better off at home. She explains that, like, I'm going broke, I'm not getting movies anymore, we had to let Helga go, I need your help cleaning. And so she goes to to clean, and she's got, like, the fucking Cinderella rag on her head. <laughs> yeah, she does. And Joan Crawford comes down just crying about, like, I'm so broke when there's no money. You're going to have to do a work scholarship for the school. Oh, I'm so poor. Uh. And Christina's like, like, yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work, Mom. We'll make it work. Lots of tears. And then Joan is fucking passed out drunk. In her room. Yeah, to the point where Christina thinks they need to get her to the hospital. Yeah, but their their ever faithful servant, you know, Carol Ann is like, nope, she doesn't need an ambulance, she's just drunk. That's she, when Christina completely shit faced. And Christina notices all of the boxes of clothing and shoes and everything. And she's like, Did she buy all this today? She she told me she we were broke. Well, uh, both of these things are tr- true because again, this is uh, representative of a manic episode and self-medicating. Yep, that is all that's happening here. Yep, and if you can view this character from this context, it's kind of tragic. It is. We uh, we'll talk more about that at the end. Like, it wasn't just the adoption thing that hit a little close to home in this movie. Um. Well, my sister's manic, so yeah. 
Yeah. But she, uh... Christ- you just grab it. You're just drawn to us. Yeah. Um, Christina goes back to school, and, she, and she's also working at a horse stable. And she meets a guy, and I'm like, good for you. You go, girl. You're not a bad-looking dude. Though, he has a girlfriend. Yeah. And then, uh... He brushes off. Brushes off, and Christina and this guy make out in the stable. They don't have sex. They don't even get... We get we get an upskirt shot of Christina. Yep. <laughs> with her wearing the most Catholic as hell granny panties, so it's it's not even an erotic making out. And the girlfriend catches them. And the girlfriend catches them, and, and Christina gets, like, huge fucking trouble with Joan. The school's well, the like, yeah... Kids we, are both... They're like they're both and both the kids are in deep shit. Yeah, but not not that deep. Not as deep as Joan wants them to be. No, she wants the boy. She blames the boy, of course. Yeah, because God forbid her daughter has any emotions and feelings and uh, of her own. But then outside of the headmaster's office, it's all Christina's fault. She is just going to slut shame her. You never mind the fact that Joan has had literally like fifty boyfriends in the course of Christina's life. Christina's had a lot of uncles. Yeah. Christina points because Joan's like out of liquor in her flask. And Christina just goes, Oh, there's a liquor store right over there. And Joan's like, Oh, I should have known a tramp like you would know where all the liquor and the boys are. It's like, Joan, she's just trying to help you get drunk. Also, she's Joan is driving. Yeah. And we get. Well drunk. Yeah, she is. And we get this fucking scene where there's a reporter there at the house to interview Joan. Was like, oh my god, Christina, I haven't seen you since you were a little tiny girl. And she's like, I heard you got expelled. Christina goes, that's a lie. And it starts a huge fucking fight. Christina and Joan are just at each other's throat. They fucking hate each other. Seems pretty good, actually. Where Christina asks, why did you adopt me? Which is a significant thing. That goes back to the adopted kids are the luckiest, where she just says, why did you adopt me? It was just for publicity. <laughs> it's a question all of us have, though. Yeah. To where Joan goes, why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? The problem is, you're not. We're not. As parents, I have two kids. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a parent as well. And uh, we're not entitled to any respect. No, you have to earn it. By not being a shitty human being. Yeah. And look, movie Joan. You know, I, you've got your problems. I understand. Been there myself. That doesn't excuse it. And, uh, you know, you've been a shitty mom. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You haven't earned any respect. Christina has a great answer to that. The, the, the Why can't you give me the respect? Christina just goes, because I'm not one of your fans. Right. She's so used to being surrounded by sycophants and people who worship her that yeah. she can't handle someone who is there to contest with her, to, to com- combat her. Which is what kids do, That's especially teenagers. That's what they are biologically designed to do. She tries to choke out Christina. Yeah, because that's, that's a good look, trying to choke out a, a minor. Yeah, and, and the reporter is there, actually, and has to pull Joan off. You! You deliberately embarrassed me in front of a reporter! A reporter? I told you how important this is to me! I told you! Why did you adopt me? What? Why did you adopt me? Because I wanted a child. Because I wanted someone to love. 
don't you act for me? I want to know. Why did you adopt me? Maybe I did it for a little extra publicity. So Christina is punished by being sent to a strict-ass convent school to learn the error of her ways. And that the nuns are, you have transgressed and sinned against the holy commandments. You will be punished severely here. And I'm like, did the nuns buy Joan's fucking crazy tale here? Yeah, they did. <laughs> I mean, I think because I think Joan is was a practicing Catholic. And so she probably had ties, and everyone thinks that, oh, okay, yeah. And the years that Christina's at the, the super strict nun school, Joan marries Alfred Steele, the CEO of Pepsi. That's interesting. We don't. I don't know how long she's at the convent, because she was pretty... She must have been 15, 16 or something during the... She says three she years. She tells the nuns okay. when she graduates well, she, that these three years have been very hard. So it was, it was... She was 15. So, okay. So, three years... But at least he's not locked there for, you know, 20. <laughs> yeah, it's not a life sentence. It's not a life sentence. And so she's returning home, and Christina actually gets along with her new stepdad. Yeah, uh, she, as far as you can, as far as we can tell, the relationship is very cordial. Um, she does call him dad, and, and he's very happy, he's nice to her. Um, I should point out, this is in fact the last husband that Joan Robert had. Yeah, and, you know, Christina's doing some acting and working, she needs some money, and Jonah's like, no, no money. And stepdad kind of goes to her and hands her some money. He's like, just between us. Don't don't tell your cunt of a mother. Because he's a, he's a good person with the war heart. Yeah, he's got all the, the fact of the matter is he's got all the money in the family. Joan Crawford's got nothing. No, Joan Crawford has nothing, but she's trying to spend all the money, because they're doing all these renovations on this, like, New York apartment. Yeah. And he's like, hey, we can't spend all this, you know? She's like, oh, but you're you're the CEO of Pepsi. Make the company pay. He's like, I can't. It's a, it's a public company. And she's still in this like 1930s Hollywood glam mindset. Yeah. Where everything has to be showy and you have to flaunt your wealth, which is, we're in the 60s now, right? In 60s? Uh-huh. Or not 60s. Actually, 50s. Late, late 50s? Late 50s. Well, yeah, late 50s. I think, the, I think her husband dies in 59. So we're somewhere 58, somewhere around that. By '58, the Hollywood glam, ostentatious, you know, Art Deco bullshit—that's gone. That doesn't exist anymore. She's living in the past, and he's basically saying, "You don't have to fucking do this. It's ridiculous." And then the next scene, he's fucking dead. Yeah, he died in. I, if I recall correctly, he died in 1959. And she's before the board at Pepsi, and they're like, "Well, you know, you're, you're, you have a lot of debt here that your husband took on for your fucking apartment, crazy lady." He he drew loans against stock, and we loaned the money. So, um, you you have to repay this. And she's like, "Well, I'm on the board. I'm the, no. We retired you from the board." And she just fucking goes off. She has that. She, she slings a. Uh, she slings that dick around. Yeah, she's like, "Don't fuck with me, fellas. This ain't my first time at a rodeo." Trying to sweep the poor little widow under the carpet. <laughs> well. Think again. I'm on the board of directors of this lousy company. Well, we assumed that with your husband gone, you would no longer want to be on the board. Al and I helped build Pepsi to what it is today. I intend to stay with it. 
We appreciate your devotion and contribution, Miss Crawford. But we have retired you from the board of directors. You drove Al Steele to his grave, and now you're trying to stab me in the back? Forget it! I fought worse monsters than you for years in Hollywood. I know how to win the hard way. Miss Crawford, we don't want any hard feelings. You don't know what hard feelings are until I come out publicly against your product and you'll see how much you sell. Please, Miss Crawford, it's hardly necessary to make threats you surely don't mean. Don't fuck with me, fellas! This ain't my first time at the rodeo. You forget the press I delivered to Pepsi was my power. I can use it any way I want. It's a sword. It cuts both ways. And uh, she basically threatens blackmails them and says, "I'll just trash your company." <laughs> and they're like, um, yeah. "Okay, well, we didn't we we didn't appreciate your dedication to this company." <laughs> Yeah, and uh, she stayed on with that with Coke for like fifteen years yeah, Pepsi, with Pepsi, yeah, rather Pepsi for most of the rest of her life. Yeah, um, and she retired in nineteen seventy three from Pepsi. She died seventy seven, so yeah, most of the rest of her life. And so they, uh, it's not like she has a whole lot of money though. I think she kind of learns that, like, oh wait, you know what her husband was trying to tell her before he died. And Christine is living on her own now in her own little apartment. And this is the 60s from, you could tell from the way she's decorated this apartment. <laughs> yeah, but by now we are in the 60s, the, the dress, the hairstyles, the, uh, the, the, the apartment. We are now into the 60s. And mom is still a fucking alcoholic. Once an alcoholic. And so uh, Christina gets a job on a soap opera. Can't remember what the name of it was. It wasn't one of the big ones, like General Hospital or all my children or something but it, it this really did happen this really happened she did get this job on a soap opera she ended up with ovarian tumor so she had to take a leave from the show and her mother will stand in for her this also did actually happen it did actually happen and, and christina's like but my character's 28 years old and joan crawford looks fucking awful trying to beat this 28 year old woman Yep. Then we get Joan Crawford's getting some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award, and her health is failing. She's, she's living on the floor of some house. Yeah. And just sees Christina like, my mommy dearest, you know, I'm accepting the award on her behalf. And Joan Crawford dies in 1977. May 10th, 1977. Literally like two days after we record this is when Joan Crawford died. <laughs> yeah, when this goes up, it'll probably be the anniversary of her death. <laughs> Yeah. And so Christopher finally shows back up in this movie. Yeah. He hasn't been seen since the Ajax scene and the, the wire hair scene. Yeah. And Christina's like, have you met my husband, David, who suddenly appears? Yeah. The chronology in this movie is um, iffy. And so they go to the, the reading of the will. And the lawyer has to read, It is my intention to make no provision for my son Christopher and my daughter Christina for reasons that are well known to them. And Christina does her best. Jesus Christ. Just like in the wire hanger scene. And Christina point, uh, Christopher points out, She has the last word. And Christina says, Does she? Because this is her motivation to write the book, which was published in 1978. This is working. Except, apparently she had started working on the book before mother died and that may have actually been part of the reason that she was not in the will so the book comes out 
I mean, this is the movie ends there. But in reality, the book comes out in 1978. A huge scandal. And Joan Crawford's other adopted daughters... Yeah, there are two of them. Madame's not appearing in this film, Kathy and Cindy. Right. Not the Cindy Crawford, though. <laughs> yeah, Kathy and Cindy. I think they, they were probably around mostly when uh, she was at the boarding school at the convent. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of makes sense for them not to be in the film? They denounced the book as false. Everybody that knew and worked with Joan denounced the book as false. Uh, Christina's producer on the soap opera said that, you know, Christina was lying about this, that Joan Crawford was doing everything she could to save that girl's life and that job. She wasn't trying to steal her job. Yeah, it's tough, right? Like, we don't know. We didn't see what was behind the scenes. And like, oh yeah, you have your co-workers and stuff, uh, but like, they don't live in your house. They don't see what happens on a day-to-day basis. And just because your siblings are there, that doesn't necessarily mean they see everything. My wife uh, tells this story. Uh, her parents were actually very hard on her older brother, and she said she did not realize that until she started talking about uh, she's really close with her sister-in-law, with her brother's wife, and they were talking, and I guess her brother had told all these stories that my wife was not even... They lived in a three-bedroom uh, trailer house, essentially, mm-hmm. with five people in it. There's no way she should have been able to see it, but you can, you can be in those tight confines and not know what goes on. Yeah, um, But it's completely possible that those younger siblings didn't see what happened with their old, with, uh, with Christopher and Christina. And it's completely possible to have not experienced it, because like, my sister and I, when I was 17, she was 15, uh, we right. got a new stepmom that was absolutely vicious to my sister. Loved me, praised me, even though I was, uh, I was a piece of crap at that time. I was a terrible teenager, but I was praised and loved, and my sister was just, oh, she was just humiliated, and this this woman was just terrible to her. So just because you treat one kid one way doesn't mean you treat all the kids that way, right? Exactly, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, they can deny it if they want, and and they might be right. There's no fucking way for us to know. It's the kind of the hard. And obviously, you have someone like Joan Crawford, who's a Hollywood legend. No one wants to speak bad of someone who's a is fucking royalty, right? Like, no one wants to say that, you know this person that was so influential and so important to early Hollywood movies, especially in terms of you know women's roles. I mean, well, no one wants to talk. No one wants to talk shit about it. No one wants to talk about her problems, even if they they did know something. But even after this book came out, even Betty Davis said, "I was not Miss Crawford's biggest fan, but wisecracks to the contrary, I did and still do respect her talent. What she did not deserve was that detestable book written by her daughter. I've forgotten her name. Horrible." But again, what does what does Betty Davis does Betty Davis live in the house? Yeah, good point. I, that's that's the thing. Is like. The person you see out in public is not necessarily the same person who's you know behind closed doors. And, and so, and the get fact that, that matter in this is, movie too, with how much she plays up everything for the camera and puts on this entire act with her children. And so, it's one of those things that obviously Joan Crawford is dead, died before the book came out. Nobody really knows. We'll never know. We'll never know if she had some sort of mental illness, if she was an alcoholic. If she was an abusive mother, I mean, that's what her daughter claims. Yeah. It's it's always like, you want to deny the victim? Like, are, you, are we just going to say, no, that's not the case? But, like, just because some people have secondhand knowledge, thirdhand, uh, you know, thirdhand knowledge of, of the situation? But 
uh, with regard to the will, Christopher and Christina, they actually did contest it and got a $55,000 settlement. In 1998, when Christine was doing the 20-year anniversary of the book, the tour, the other sisters sued her for defamation of character. And then she countered sued and said that, that the girls were not even biological sisters or something. And they settled it out of court. But literally, like, nobody vouches for Christina. As I, but as I research this, there's nobody that vouches for her. Because they didn't well, live there. They, they didn't know. Right. And, you know, she was a powerful woman. Joan Crawford was a powerful woman in Hollywood who probably had very good relationships with people in her industry. Yeah. Um, but they weren't there. They were. They knew her in public. They knew her as a work colleague. But, I mean, how many of your work colleagues do you know that you go home and you're like, oh, that person seems really cool. That person might be a colossal fuckhead at home. Yeah. And so, I, I you know... All you can say is that if you if you know Joan Crawford, right? Like, but you didn't, you weren't part of the family. You weren't there for those intimate moments. The only thing you can say is, when I knew her, when I saw her in public, she was very polite. She was very kind. You know, this doesn't match the person I knew, which is certainly possible. Um, people live, you know, compl- people are human beings are complicated. Yeah, so it's it's hard to know if this happened or not because we we weren't there. That's why, you know, you, you watch this movie, first of all, it is, even if it is based on actual truth and we don't know, it's still pretty melodramatic. Yeah, and that's why it's, I counted it as exploitation, because, well, we're, we're taking a true story of child abuse and melo- making a huge melodrama. Drama. Right. My favorite is that Faye Dunaway crit- criticizes the director later, so she, she should have known when to rein us in. I'm like... Or you can know when to not overact. Or the fact that uh, all the other cast members hated Faye Dunaway. Yeah, she's she seems like she might uh, <laughs> maybe may, you know, might be kind of a shitty person herself. Yeah, but I just look. I mean, the movie itself is too long. The chronology is all over the place. Like you skip a lot of stuff. I think they wanted to focus on the more salacious aspects of the book. And just kind of went from that to that without any, like, context. Christopher is an important part of the story because he's partly involved in the whole, you know, disinheriting thing. And he's in the movie for, like, 30 minutes of the film. Uh, if just that, he's got, up. like, three scenes. He's got, like, he's there around at the birthday party. Then he offers to help Christina clean. Oh, wait, no, he is in the Christmas scene. Yep. And, and then he's at the very the end. end. <laughs> Yeah, he gets the fuck out of this movie, and we don't know what happened to him or what kind of really. Obviously, he didn't have any sort of regular relationship. He didn't even know Christina's husband, so he wasn't really involved with the family. But it's never established why. And yeah, the movie's kind of all over the place. It's overacted. It's so, look, it's not a good movie, but it is it is a tough movie for me to watch with someone you know displaying obvious signs of mental illness and a, and a mental illness that I share. And obvious, and also abusing their daughter. Again, I have two daughters that, I, after watching this movie, all I wanted to do, go do is give hugs to my, my kids. Yeah. I love, them, I love them. Because it was like, you know, look, she obviously had her demons. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna go based on the assumption that this might be a little bit dram- dra- dramatized, but there's a lot of truth here. That's the assumption I'm going to go with. And obviously she had her demons. The fact of the matter is, enter- entertainers, actors, musicians, poets, Authors, um, uh, uh, artists, they all have, almost all of them have some sort of mental illness. 
there's a, a connection between being artistically inclined and mental illness. So most of these people have their demons. There's a reason why so many rock stars turn to drugs. There's a reason why so many authors kill themselves. Like these are this is something that is well documented throughout history. Yeah. And she obviously had her demons. Again, if we're operating based on this being at least mostly based on truth, she had her demons. But man, she put through that that put her daughter through absolute hell. And you know, some of that is a victim of you know when she was and what time she was in. And rich, famous, powerful people are always surrounded by sycophants. No one wants to get them help. They just want to kiss their ass. And so, you know, uh, I know a lot of people interpret this movie as, you know, oh, look what a villain Joan Crawford is. I think that it's a, it's a tragedy. The whole thing is a fucking tragedy. Yeah. Um, and as sensational as the wire hanger scene is, the entire movie, even when I rewatched it for this, was, was cringe. I did not feel comfortable watching this movie. No, I didn't either. I uh, I was kind of captivated by it, but it was definitely uncomfortable for me the entire uh, time. Was, I I will take the coffee. Yeah, me too. Um, this is a hard movie for me to watch for on many levels. Even if it were like a really well done movie, like it would be hard for me to watch again. But next week, uh, it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, get some uh, get a little bit of a palate cleanser with some some nice uh, B movies here. Some yes. B films. We get Paul W. S. Anderson. We're doing his his take on Three Musketeers, the the steampunky one. Yep, with Christoph Waltz as Cardinal Richelieu. Yeah, I'll have words about that. <laughs> I like. I, I'll just say it right now. I loved that movie when I saw it in theaters. It may not hold up well watching it again now, uh, twelve years later. But I, when I saw it in the theater, I was very fond of this movie. It's an episode that's going to be kind of similar to our. Uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, because that was a very, like, steampunky take on an old tale. Yeah. Same way that this Three Musketeers is. Although I don't have as much love for this as I did for Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Well, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters is definitely the superior film, but I like this one too. And our, our second film, however. Our second film is fucking Event Horizon. Yes, fuck it yes. Is an amazing horror film that doesn't, still does not. It, time has been kind to it. It still doesn't get as much love as it deserves. It is a ma- an amazingly atmospheric creep fest. It is great. So that's what we got for next week, everybody. We will catch you then. Bye-bye! Gonna check you down!